You're listening to Coaching Presence, the podcast that will help you become a better coach. I'm Mariana Wright, and it's my pleasure to introduce some truly inspirational guests to share their learning with you. So, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I've been, just so that everybody in the group knows, I've we met quite quite a, probably over five years ago now, um, mm-hmm. at least, when I moved to Ireland and we were in a professional development group together. And since then, Amanda's really focused on some fascinating research, which I'll let her talk about, about networks, which I really felt, well, I've used them with my clients, I've, with clients. I also think it's important information for us to be aware of as coaches for our own, our own growth and our own um, development in our businesses and things but um, certainly some practical research for, for client work as well. Amanda, could you start off by telling us about why you were so interested in networks? Yeah, I, I, love, I love actually thinking about the timing of when we met. And as you said, we were in a professional group together because that really was actually, that was really kind of the, the genesis of where the focus on networks really over networking emerged. I think at that time, Marianne, I was, uh, it was sort of well after the, the, you know, the financial crisis here in Ireland. And the kind of work that I was doing as a coach was within organizations that were going through really a significant restructure and change. And I was very aware at the time, I mean, I was a career coach and, and many of you I'm sure we'll be doing quite similar work where you're supporting people through change. But at the time within the organizational setting, I was aware that there were some people that were adapting and moving on really quickly. And there were other people that were struggling. And obviously there were a number of variables that were affecting that. But one of them that interested me was this aspect of relationship building that we don't often focus on in a very sort of conscious and visible way, uh, which is the kind of networks that we build. Um, and just as, a, as an example, I remember there were, two, there were two men I worked with, they were both engineers, they're both in the senior leadership team. Uh, there was one was a John, the other was a Sean. And as an example, in a way of two people who approached their work in different ways, uh, we had John who was got in early, um, went to his desk, kind of created a you know plan for the day, what he was going to do. Uh, he was really good at knowing exactly who to go to for what. Um, I'd seen him in the canteen, he usually kind of sat with the same group, it was usually the senior leadership team. And in contrast, there was Sean, and Sean was often late for coaching sessions that I did, usually still be in the corridor talking to somebody when I was about to meet him. So usually kind of, you know, had his hands in his pockets, he was sort of leaning in, listening. And his excuse maybe when he came into the meeting was, ah, there was just somebody I bumped into and they just helped to, you know, lift the lid in a problem I'd been looking at the wrong way. And in the end, both Sean and John created sort of convenience networks, but they were very different. John's was really good for getting the job done as long as it stayed the same. Sean's, however, turned out to be more flexible and adaptable. And as the organization then went through a really fundamental change, it was taken over by new orders, uh, a, a new owner, and it completely restructured and people were competing for new jobs or looking for jobs outside. 
I was just aware that the kind of networks that somebody like Sean built that were informal, that meant that he had relationships in different parts of the organization and probably externally, meant that he was just better set up to deal with change. And in the end, the work that I developed, I met a colleague who in the UK, who's an academic, and she had done a lot of research into this sort of developing intuitions from network science about what can really help networks be effective and, and what can constrain them. And in combination with working with her, I really felt we were able to step on from sitting down with somebody like John and just saying, you just need to go to conferences and meet people, which just never really went down that well uh, for all sorts of kind of really human reasons that we hold ourselves back. So there were a number of things that were going on at the time that encouraged me to see if there was something else that I could um, offer to people who were going through change that would give them... I suppose a sort of a guideline or a framework in order to be able to assess the kind of network of relationships they're relying on now and identify gaps and ideally fill those before it was too late. I think that what you describe as well is really reassuring for people like me who find the idea of networking slightly cringe-makey because we have this image that in order to network you have to um, mingle at the conference afterwards you know with a glass of wine looking slightly uncomfortable and making small talk with people and there are many other ways of networking and you've already described there are many forms of network i know that your research has pointed to some key roles within networks and some key types of networks could you possibly give us an overview and i know that we will be putting more information out there about this so people don't have to kind of grab hold of it all right now but a kind of an overview of, of your findings and what you yeah. So in a way, before I illustrate the framework, which in the end is something that, you know, can be taught in about 10 minutes, it can be shared with other people. So um, I can just come back to that. But I think just to pick up on your point, Mariana, it, you know, that wasn't just my observation. It's not just your feeling. It's really borne out in a whole body of social science uh, research, which, which uh, in fact, there's a lovely article by... Um, her name's Castiaro, I'm just trying to remember her first name, about why networking makes us feel dirty. And, <laughs> and in that research, um, they're really able to illustrate some of the kind of emotional feelings that we, that we carry with us when we, we enter into situations where, where, we, where we're expected to, you know, sort of formally try to build relationships in a, in a conscious way. Um, and actually, really, for, for most people, that's just not a terribly appealing thing. Um, there's another book that I'm reminded about by Adam Grant called Give and Take. Mm. So if there's anybody out there who, in a way, wants to build, um, wants to understand the evidence base for building networks which are based much more about, you know, how I can offer help to you or a reciprocity in relationships rather than, um, rather than always feeling that every time you're talking to people that they might think that you're trying to kind of take something from them. So, um, so there's lots of research, there's lots of really good things, which I think point to the kind of networks which I think we're getting much better at, at understanding and using, which are where we're reaching out to lots of different types of people. Some people we can offer help to, other people can offer help to us. And, you know, as long as we're sort of paying it forward, we're, we're, we're building and growing networks that can flourish. Um, to talk a little bit about the framework, mm. 
the evidence based behind it really was built on sort of three really sound principles. One is that uh, good networks are diverse. And what we mean by diverse is that not everybody that we connect with is like us. So we have points of difference as well as points of similarity. And what we find is that left unattended, we tend to be predisposed to carrying that bias for similarity in our relationships over time. And, and you know, it's understandable that when we, when we meet people that the points of recognition are easy to connect with rather than the points of difference. So it, it's easy for me to get into conversation with somebody that you know, might be in a similar career, might be in a similar job, maybe living in the same place, maybe know the same people, than it is for me to find the value in relationships where people could be offering me insights and information and knowledge that are from their world that are completely different from mine. So diversity is something that uh, is really important to think about. Another area is from the network science is what we call range in our network. So it's, um, it's having people around us uh, that give us access to, to different worlds, to new ideas, to maybe where innovation is taking place in, in, in different parts. Uh, so thinking about, you know, even now you could sit down and, and just write a list of all the people that are important to you. And maybe if I asked you to you know, knock out the names of the you know, people in your team or knock out the names of the people that you work with and knock out the names of your friends and family, you might be quite surprised at how narrow that is. Yeah. So thinking about breadth and range is really important. And then the third area coming from science is about resource. So people in our networks carry resources. Um, what we tried to do when we developed the tool was to find a way of creating, say if you're in a coaching conversation, a way to have a really rich conversation about, some, about, about your, your client's network. And so rather than talking about research, uh, sorry, resource, we developed a question. Uh, we asked, you know, who is in your personal boardroom? And a personal boardroom in the end is a metaphor for thinking about you at the, the core of uh, your network. Um, if you're a CEO, you'd have a boardroom with lots of seats around it. So thinking about uh, you at the center of your network and you've got different seats. So we talk about roles that different people can play. Who would you ideally want to put into those seats? Who could you put in that gives you, uh, sort of doesn't have so many overlaps, that gives you kind of the best representation of all the things that you need? So asking people to identify who's in their personal boardroom and helping them to think about what we call 12 different roles, which are really based on three different types. So if you think about the people that you want to be able to get access to, these are what we call uh, people who play information roles for you. So people who give you access to new ideas, new knowledge, um, new information. It's and so we've got four, four roles. The, the, per, the person that you know in the tech department that can fix your issue. 
those kind of people as well, I'm guessing, are in there. The people exactly who have kind of deep knowledge, deep expertise of things that you don't have time to become the expert on. And therefore, you rely on people around you and your relationships to be able to access some of that to, in the end, extend your capability as an individual. Um, another role that people don't often think about, but most of us, whatever kind of work we're doing, we, we have a customer. Uh, we have somebody that we're, uh, we're working in the service of. I mean, it could be, depending on your area of work, if you're in a kind of law firm, you talk about clients rather than customers. Obviously, in the coaching world, we tend to talk about our clients. Uh, in a lot, of, a lot of other organizational structures, it could be who are our beneficiaries. Um, but in the end, kind of who, who, are we, who are we working in the service of? And, and we call these your customer voice. And thinking about who it is that you're talking to, who you're in connection with, that's keeping you really attuned to the needs of your customers and how they might be changing. So the information roles are kind of one, one third of your personal boardroom. The second third and this is really the engine of how change happens, are what we call the power roles. So these are the people that can unlock resource for you. They can give you, they can connect you with people that you need to meet. They can sponsor, they can endorse you in meetings that you're not in or talk to other people about work that you're, you're, you're doing that you, know, you can't do directly. Or they may be working as kind of influencers. They may have the ear of other people that can influence decisions on your behalf. So the power roles can be occupied by people who are in some form of kind of seniority, but, but not always. Influencers in organizations could be very junior people, but they have the ear of people who can make decisions or you know, a particular constituency or, or a community. So the power roles are really interesting to, to think about. And then the third area, I think, is the area that as coaches you'll feel the most comfortable with. And these are what we call the development roles. So these are the people that you can tap into that see you as a, a work in progress, that can provide challenge, can provide feedback, provide courage, provide balance. And uh, a, a really good personal boardroom is one where maybe you've got, it could be kind of six to 12 people in your life who play those roles for you that you nurture and have as, as, as active relationships. I find it so useful to think in these different areas because some, I think some people think of networks are just the kind of people that can get them to the next level up in their career. So they don't view networks as reciprocal and it's, it's more about leverage rather than a sustainable network, which is a two-way uh, sharing and support network. You know, yes, you may advocate for me in a meeting, but hey, I can talk to you about what I know about millennials living in Amsterdam or whatever a piece of information is. It's a two-way conversation. It's not just one way. Knowing, and I know that Amanda, you've got some online tools to help people do this for themselves, and you've also got programs to help coaches um, work with their clients in this area. You've got a whole whole program of support. Um, I'm kind of wondering. We know how how one can. Well, I've I've mentioned you know it needs to be sustainable and it needs to be reciprocal. But in, what's your understanding of a healthy network? we've got an idea now of who needs to be in it, but how might one approach creating a healthy network, would you say? 
I think the interesting thing is that um, we all we all continue to evolve and change, and and what we see certainly in the workplace and in our careers now is is probably a much greater rate of change than we had in the past, and therefore I think a network is never going to be fixed and rigid. It is going to be subject to change. So as your needs change, new gaps will show up in your network that can be filled and need to be filled by new people. Um, there was always a lovely expression uh, that I read about the nature of relationships and how they take time to build, which if you think about a network, it means that in the end, we all experience what we call a sort of a network lag, that um, at any one time, our network of relationship probably represents where we are now. It probably represents where we were as well, but it won't represent where we want to be in the future unless we're actively evolving and building relationships that will help us to, to take there. And so I think a really good network is one where there probably are going to be some fixed people. There are going to be people that will journey through your life with you. And, mm. and we know that they play some of the roles like anchor and nerve giver, and, and they may not change that much. But I think actually we started by talking about the information roles and you could imagine that the people that play those roles will evolve over time. So I think there's going to be, you know, relationships which are always going to be there, but we need to create space so that there is some sort of churn. And that's not to say that we let relationships go, but it is to recognize that um, as we move through life, so too our relationships will, um, will evolve and will change with us. And Amanda, if we're doing this process and becoming aware of who we need to have in our boardroom and we might notice gaps or that our focus tends to be on the kind of the friends we had at college you know our kind of our support network our development people but we're, we're a bit behind the times in terms of information what kind of processes and what, what should we be doing to to fill those gaps at, at our boardroom table well I think and I'm talking to you as a coach so I could imagine that a coaching conversation is probably going to have a, a, a real context. Mm. Um, so in a coaching session, it may well be that, um, that you're talking about your future, that you're talking about uh, maybe a change or maybe you're stepping into a new role or maybe you want to change roles or maybe you just want to make a big change in your life. So the, the context is really important because we all have lots of people that we potentially know. But I think the personal boredom framework is useful when you start to think about it in the context of something that you're, you're trying to do or moving towards. And you use the roles to identify who plays that role for you now, um, whether it's the right person or whether it needs to be somebody else or maybe, you know, maybe you've got a gap. Uh, so it could well be, for example, if you're stepping into a new role, that you're really conscious of areas of expertise in that new role. And it might be that part of what you identify is that you have a gap in certain knowledge areas. So it's understanding, firstly, what your needs are, what those knowledge areas are, and then thinking about, well, how can I find somebody to play that role? And I think the most natural way to find somebody is through somebody you already know. Mm. So one of the roles that we talk about within the informational are navigators. So it's the people that have the knowledge 
of air, uh, maybe a people landscape or a process or um, you know who knows who knows who in a particular area. So if I know I've got a gap, then actually thinking, well, who could I talk to? Classically, I suppose inside organisations, we have uh, you know somebody who's been there for a long time. You know, has a lot of tacit knowledge about you know who talks to who and, and the institutional memory. Yes, say that again. The institutional memory. Yeah, the institute. Absolutely, that is it exactly. Uh, so that person is really valuable if if you're trying to identify um, maybe a kind of area of knowledge or information that you know that that you don't know. So I think working through navigators is often how we fill gaps or thinking about who you know who has connections um, and if you approach them and said, you know, I'd really love to meet somebody, say I'm moving into coaching. One of the questions that you must get asked Mariana a lot is, you know, how could I find a supervision group to join? You know, how could I, um, I'd really like to, uh, you know, train up in, in, in a particular kind of credential, uh, you know, who could I talk to who could help me? So I imagine that you, probably without even being aware are a tremendous connector for other people or you know even if you're not making the introductions you're doing the navigation job you're saying you know think about this group or think about this person who might be able to help you yeah I think I am and I, I enjoy it I enjoy that role because I know there's other roles that I don't enjoy so much so I guess it's about playing to your strengths and making sure that it is reciprocal but so that I know if I do that for somebody that at some point they may do the same for me, you know, or they may mention me and refer me or, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, way of making the, the network more sustainable. I think, I think you make a lovely point about playing to your strengths because I think it, it, we all build relationships differently and we value different things in relationships. Uh, so, you know, what I don't want to come across is that there's a recipe for success here. I think this is, you know, uh, one client said, gosh, it's partly art and partly science. Um, but in the end, you need to approach it from the perspective of uh, building relationships in a way that really makes sense to you. So if you are a natural connector, and I imagine that you are, then sort of acknowledging that uh, and, and recognizing that's something I do for my network and connect people, I think gives you then the license or the permission in your own mind to go out then and ask other people for different kinds of help. So mm -hmm. sort of thinking about what kind of a giver you are. And, and what kind of a taker you need to be in order to actually benefit from the resource and the value that people have around you. Um, the other point I was just going to pick up on in terms of reciprocity, and it's a, it's a difficult one, sometimes a difficult word to say even, but... Um, I'm glad you, you said it. I was kind of, I was pronouncing it in my head going, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> At a very human level, I think we all, I think we're all wired for reciprocity. You know, we're... we're we're wired to, to, to think about that give and take in terms of individual relationships. I would invite you coaches to think for yourself and for your clients about situations in which there may well be a power imbalance. So if we think about what sponsorship involves, sponsorship involves somebody else endorsing you because they believe in you. And ultimately, that is somebody that maybe in a more senior position, uh, you, you may not, you may want their sponsorship. You may not immediately have something that you could offer them in return. And I think if you, if you take the view that I can only ever 
build relationships with people that I can reciprocate directly with, then I think you can miss out on some of the, in a way, some of the more nuanced parts of our network, which, which really allow us to move forward. So in that instance, I think one recognizes that approaching somebody to sponsor you may involve them really understanding and believing in what you can do. And that's something that may take some time. There's potentially always an offer to return the favor or, or maybe to say is, if there's ever something that I could do for somebody that you wanted. Um, but, you know, just to open, open yourselves up to the idea that you can't always reciprocate directly, but as long as you take a sort of a pay it forward you know, attitude to your own network that I'll help somebody if they ask for help if I can um, but I'll ask somebody different for help when I need it I think that allows in a way for a bit more space and a bit more breath to build really rich relationships and a really flourishing network I think that's lovely because I've had some key people be really supportive of my career over the years in a number of ways and they're the kind of people that you normally may not have wanted to approach, I think one of the keys to doing it is recognizing that you're asking them for help or support and, you know, kind of not demanding it, but recognizing that, you know, you're asking, even if it's, I could do with 10 minutes of your time, could I take you out for coffee or in some way acknowledging it, but not being shy of doing it because it does open doors and it does, you know, lead to growth in networks and it's certainly been incredibly helpful in my career. Amanda, I'm sorry, I'm, I was just going to say I'm conscious of our time and we've kind of thought that we would think about how things have changed with the pandemic. I'm wondering if we might spend a few minutes on that because, in fact, I think one of the last times we met was probably at a big conference in Belfast um, and I was, I'm guessing, slightly embarrassed, shuffling around, head down, wondering what to do in the break areas. Um, that's kind of my, my role. Online, I'm great at it but actually face-to-face, -face, unless I know somebody, I'm, I'm rubbish. So in a way, the pandemic is a gift because I don't have to go to conferences and shuffle around with my um, canapes looking mortified and embarrassed. But for many people, it's been a real block in terms of the traditional way of meeting people. And, you know, you can spot the key speakers so you can make a beeline for them or whatever. How might we network in this new normal? I think it's a brilliant question and in the end I think we're we're all living through a uh, a massive new experiment and <laughs> I think it would be glib of me to prescribe how we do it because the more people I talk to the more I I think about my own experience the more I realize that it's shifting it's changing and I don't think the norms of how we do things have established yet. I think we're all, you know, it's lots and lots of trial and error at the moment. I think, as you said, that there probably are a lot of people and maybe as coaches, you might feel that or maybe recognize your clients when they come to you and, and say they don't really want to go and go to conferences, but there is an element of relief, possibly that we can retreat behind cameras and uh, decide who comes into our world and, and who doesn't. Um, I think there are a couple of things that uh, a couple of things that have been shown up in in some of the research that I've been reading recently about 
during lockdown, in a way, what, what, what might be happening to our networks. So think about your network now and how it might have changed. So that question I asked at the beginning about, you know, who do you rely on for success? I wonder if you wrote that list in January and you wrote it in the summer, how it might have been different or how it might continue to be different. But certainly some of the research is indicating that, uh, that we're spending more time reaching out to our, our strong ties, i.e. the people that we know really well, and we're spending less time connecting with what we might call distant ties. So these are people that are not necessarily directly involved in our work. And, and you can understand exactly why that's happening. Uh, so there is a challenge, I think, in particularly where, where, we can, where we can access the sort of new ideas and sort of creative thinking that, that meeting people who are very different from us can give us. I think that's a bit of a limitation. And I also think in terms of feeling that we're a bit invisible to other people who could be important, I think, you know, trying to, trying to build our networks when we're, uh, when we're working remotely or we're not in a physical building, I think is also a challenge. Um, so I think that uh, one of the things that people underestimate and again, is, is borne out a lot in the research, is that the value of reaching out to people that we've known in the past. Um, so technically, they're often called kind of dormant ties. So they, they may have been those people that you were at school with, Marianne. And <laughs> the value of reaching back in time to people that you've known before is that there is already a point of connection. There, there's a, you know, there was, there was a relationship at a time. So you're not starting from scratch. And secondly... You've got a brilliant excuse now because we're all experiencing anywhere in the world, we've got something in common to talk about, which is what's happened. Uh, so you've got two, I think, points of real connection. And thirdly, because those people are now maybe doing very different things from you, living in very different places, that talking to them and listening to them and talking about how they see the world is going to, I think, bring you some of those new insights and that novel thinking and that difference that we really crave. So, uh, and I think again, coming back to Adam Grant, though he did a, uh, or he reviewed a piece of research, which said that in 90% of situations where people reach back in time, pick up dormant ties, uh, they have a very enjoyable experience. So if you're kind of thinking, oh, I can't possibly do it, I would urge you to try or encourage your clients to try and then just tell them, ask them to come back to you and tell you how they got on. And I think it really, in most cases, it will be quite positive. So there's something about reaching out to dormant ties that's important. I think that the visibility challenge is, 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 a, is, is difficult because if you're thinking about how, um, how work gets done inside organizations, an awful lot of that is you know, seeing who's talking to who, you know, who's, you know, you're meeting people in the, in the lift going up and down, seeing people in the corridor, those, those sort of snatched conversations. And if we're separated and we're not having those, then, uh, then I think we need to find other much more deliberate ways of staying in touch. And I know there's lots of technology channels that people are beginning to use like Slack and Facebook and, um, I did a piece of work with some MBA students in the summer, and it's really interesting. They're, they're much more active than 
previous years in their first year of doing their MBA in just reaching out to people mm. and um, using the kind of alumni networks to, to find people. So I think we just have to be a bit more deliberate. Um, I think we need to be thoughtful. We do need to be targeted. We, we need to invite interaction rather than demand it. Um, and I think the last thing I wanted to say about it is the, that the, the conferences have gone, they're probably not coming back very soon, but have you noticed in their place how many incredible virtual events have been put on? And in many ways, they're cheaper to go to. You can, you know, they're, they're more convenient. You know, how many times do you say, I can't go to that conference because there's a block in my diary or it's too far away or I can't possibly afford it. So I think there's an awful lot of, you know, much cheaper alternatives out there and there's no reason why uh, attending those events can't mean with technology as we've got it at the moment that you can't find other ways of of following up and uh, and doing it thoughtfully if, if you want to connect with somebody for the first time. Thanks Amanda I think that's really really important to hold on to and we have got the technology you know we've got social media and networks within social media have the same principles you know if you're expecting somebody to help you promote something that you've done you need to take some time to comment and discuss other people's work as well it is a two-way street amanda thank you so much for your time today thank you for listening to continue this conversation join the coaching presence facebook group if you enjoy being part of that uplifting community, do tell others. You can find out more about me at mariannawright.com.